your name. Amen. I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've been working through this book. Um, a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago or so, we had an elder retreat, and um, it was out on Sugar Lake, and I, I did capture one, we had a little break one time, and I captured a picture, and one of the elders did get out on the lake a little bit, and I'll put that picture up on the screen. Uh, that's Tom Geisler there, and uh, <laughs> he's water skiing. It was a little cool, he didn't go down, but he did get a fish as well at, at the end of the day. But we've come to this chapter 3, a, a great book that teaches us so much, and we see in one sense, this love of Paul that he had for this body, that he was looking to want to get back there and be with him and meet with them, but he was so caring and so protective of this church. And he understood the nature where the world around was antagonistic and actually persecuting this church, and he knew it. And he wanted to care for them, protect them, to make sure that they even were ready, frankly, for when Jesus were, if, if Jesus were to come back. So it points to us today. And, and, and this today, these verses, frankly, are an extension of, of a couple weeks ago. But let me put on the screen there, starting verse 10, and let's read the text for this morning. As we pray most earnestly night and day, He's praying here that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now this morning, I want to draw out some of the, the meanings and some of the things out of this text that really apply to us as a church as we look to create a path of discipleship. And I'm going to weave that in there as well. A couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned that we had an elder retreat, and it's one of the things that we desire as a church is that we would become more and more effective in terms of making disciples. And, and matter of fact, just to review that, that function of discipleship, let me put this uh, baseball diamond again on the screen. It, it's the idea here that, that at the very center of that, on the mound, if you want to put it in those terms, it's, there's the great commandment. God loves us, and we are to respond in loving him in return with our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And because of that love, we are called the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And this is a picture that we've been using. It fits with those bees that are painted up on our wall up there. This idea that we are called to go around this baseball diamond if we're going to become an effective disciple. And you think of going to first base, that issue of belonging. It's belonging to Christ, where we put our faith in Christ, but it's belonging also to each other. God calls us to commune together, to live together in this union where we're a body, we're a family. But it doesn't end there as well. We head towards second base, this issue of believing we believe God. We believe his word. This is a book that's communicated to reveal the heart of God. He wants us 
to know him, and it happens through this book. But knowing him also calls in another to another step. This issue of becoming. It's the issue of transformation, a changed life. It, it's becoming like Christ. Becoming more loving, fulfilling, frankly, that great commandment of loving each other and loving God. But it doesn't even end there. Because there's a call to discipleship that talks about us be- becoming bringers. And where we're bringing the gospel to the community. We're bringing others even into maturity and helping others go around the baseball diamond as well. And so we're going to weave that into today's sermon also and look at how the methods and some of the forms that we need to put into place here to become more effective in terms of a church to make disciples. But let me review the last point because this passage is an extension of two weeks ago. Look at it, number four. It's on there, your notes. You don't have to fill in the blank there. But healthy churches that flourish in a post-Christian world must respond to God's invitation to love each other within the church. Now, in this text that we just read, it demonstrates Paul's love for this group of people. And, And frankly, the response needs to be in our lives that he's inviting us to is to love each other deeply. And we'll see that it even goes beyond just the church body. We're called to love even farther than that. But look at verse 11. Let's dig a little bit here. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul wants to get back there. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul wants to be with them. And he's asking that God would give him the opportunity to go back and visit them. Earlier in the book, he he talked about Satan blocking that path back to him. But there's an opportunity because he's not done with them yet. He's not looking to get back and, oh, let's just have a cup of coffee. Let's just catch up on life a little bit. No, it goes beyond that. It has a purpose. And the purpose is he wants these people to be transformed even more. And his prayer, as he prays that he wants to come back, look at how the phrase in verse 12 there. I, I want your lives to reflect that you would make you increase and abound in love. Now, you notice right away he uses the word increase and abound, it's, it's kind of the same concept, but it's the way he writes it here, it's actually two different words, two different Greek words. Matter of fact, the word increase there, the, when you look it up in a Greek dictionary, it could actually mean abound, when you, one of the meanings for that. But it's to increase, to, to grow. Okay, but there's a second word that he uses, this version uses the word abound in love, and it literally means to be overflowing, to increase and overflowing. Uh, One commentator put it this way, it literally means to super abound in your love for each other, 
to superabound in, in this word love is agape love, so it's to superabound in this deep love for each other within the church. And, and you stop and ask the question, what would happen if a church loved each other like that within a community? where super love was abounding. It was just abounding and it was overflowing. And I think this is what happened. A church would become very attractive. And a church cannot not grow and make a difference in the lives of people. See, the call on on our lives is to be growing in such a love for each other that it's impacting us deeply. Now, I, I think there's a tension for us. Because sometimes I think we come to church and it really is for this, the pursuit of knowledge. And I go, no, it's more than that. Knowledge has a purpose and the purpose is that we might grow in our ability to love God. That's why knowledge is this, to know Him, to love Him and to love one another. But there's a reason why He wants to push them. And have them go farther. Look at it, verse 13. So that, you catch that, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Now here's one of the tensions I think we have within the church. So often our understanding of holiness, we hear that word and you go, what is it? Well, a lot of people just kind of default to this meaning. It's the absence of sin. And go, no, it's more than that. Matter of fact, what Paul is doing, he's connecting superabounding in love, the love, deep love for people, he's connecting it with the word holiness. And I think a lot of times we don't connect loving people with the issue of being holy. So holiness is more than just the avoidance of sin or some kind of moral perfection. The call is to love each other. And you'll notice something else in this passage. It's for all. It was for all. Inside the church and outside the church. That that. God might establish holiness in our hearts. And then the end of 13, one more piece here. We love each other, so we move toward holiness, and what does it say? That we'll be ready. And Paul was concerned about them being ready when Jesus would come back. So loving each other is connected to when Jesus and being ready when he comes and returns. And I don't think we connect that, make that connection. But let me give you the application for your notes here. One of the things I think we can do is we need to ask God to change our hearts so there is an overflowing love within the church family and outside the family as well. Super abound in love within the walls of a church and outside the walls of a church. Now here's where I think we kind of miss it. This is so much more than just casual friendships. This isn't about just getting to know people's names. It's going deeper than that. It's understanding, and and, and this text really brings it out. 
But here's where we need to tie it into where we're headed this fall. Because as we struggled three, three weeks ago or so at this retreat, we were praying and pondering and asking the question, okay, this baseball diamond, how do we do it here at the church? What are the forms that are needed that we can effectively move toward more belonging and believing and becoming and bringing? That we're going all, all around because sometimes things focus on one portion of those. And so what I want to share with you a bit through the, today is some of the decisions that we've made and where we need to head as a church as we're looking this, coming up to this fall. And one of the things we did is that, uh, and, and some of you participated in some of those discipleship nights, is that there's about five or six different models of adult ministry in the church world today. And the question that we were struggling with is, which is the right one for us? And we came to a conclusion that we need to adopt one of them with a slight variation to what maybe some of the teaching or some of the writings on that particular model is. But let me, for your notes, let me throw this out right away. So a path of discipleship, discipleship path, number, goal number one for this fall, for 2013, is the formation of what we're going to call community groups. Again, as we looked at the various models, there's really two dominant models out there. I don't know if you're aware of this, but one of them is the buffet model. And the buffet model does this. Let's put a whole bunch of different options on the table, and then people come to the buffet table and pick and choose which they want to be a part of. Matter of fact, this approach was, um, that was my responsibility at the, my previous church was to create that buffet table where people could come and I could, they're going to do this and this and this. You had lots of different options. But one of the downsides to this model is oftentimes the best time to do it is when children are in Sunday school or, for example, a Wednesday night program. And you create those options during that time period. Well, if you know the issue that uh, if you've been here on a Wednesday or even Sunday morning, you recognize there's not a lot of extra rooms to work with for adults. That's the tension. You need a great, just in terms of space, you need a lot of square footage to be able to support this model. But there's another downside to this model as well that we discovered over the years, and it's this, is that oftentimes this model creates a bit of a consumer and they go, when's the next big class? When's the next good thing for me? And it's hard at times to get the church to look up and look outward in that model. It becomes very kind of inward focused on this particular model. But there's a second model out there that's used as well, very extensively in the church world. And it's the small group model. And the right phrase, you become a church of small groups that that's their discipleship method. Now, one of the distinctives of this is that the, the, the church breaks up into groups of 10, 12, 14 or so, and you meet in the homes for study, prayer, fellowship, connecting. But the key component, one key piece to this group, is that generally when you form these groups, they're closed. They don't, they, they, you don't they're not open in terms of people growing and new people coming into the group. And there's a reason why they do that. 
But that was one of the issues that we really wrestled with and said, do we really want closed groups? And as we were struggling with how do we make an impact in our community? So we ended up adopting a third model. And it's a new, fairly new model. It's growing out there pretty extensively right now. And it's referred to, in a technical sense, what's called the missional model. And where groups are formed, now most of these that are doing that are actually doing a little bit bigger groups, but, but, so we modified it a bit, but it's, the goal is this, it's that issue of the first B, belonging, is that there's, you gather some people together in groups, and it's community groups, and one of the focuses is the issue of belonging, communing, communi- community with each other. So that's a key uh, piece to it. But there's a second part of it. When you think of a community group, we also want a missional component to it. Meaning that there's this idea of how do we look beyond the walls of our group and on, uh, the, the, past the walls of our church. So how can we love people who are, don't know Jesus, who need Jesus, or those people that have walked away from a church and need a church family, how can we love them? So that's what we were wrestling with. But let me give you some of the characteristics of what we're going to call our community groups. So number one, for your notes, some of the characteristics. We want the word community to have a double meaning. A community group is one not only that grows to love each other within the church, But we want a missional focus of going, we want to love the community. Meaning out past the church walls. The people that you're working with, people that are out there who need Jesus. So it's both community within our church family, but it's also focusing on the community out that's not, who who doesn't know Jesus yet. Number two, we want to create communities of seven to ten, that variable, it's going to vary a little bit, might be more, that will have the ability, will have room to grow and invite people who don't know Christ, or for those who have not, they've walked away from the church or they need a church to connect to. So functionally, these community groups, we want them to be open. And we're not going to close them. We'll need to multiply them as if they fill up, obviously. But it's this idea there that we want to be open to who God is bringing into our lives. Number three, the focus of these community groups will be on friendship. And you understand community really comes from this idea of communing, of, of, of deeper relationship and love with each other and care in that relationship. How do you do this? We need to be eating together. We need to be spending time together. These groups need to spend time together. They need to be praying together. They need to be playing together. They need to be water skiing together, fishing together. Uh, I understand there's this element that you cannot get away from spending time and the issue of loving each other. Last weekend, Deanna and I uh, celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. And, and we were just pondering and kind of looking back, and we try to reminisce once in a while. And, but one of the realizations for us is that 
you cannot grow to love your spouse if you don't spend alone time with them. And it's the same way within a church body. If we don't spend time together, we will never love with a type of love that's superabounding. It will only be casual and surface. It can happen in a marriage, but it also can take place in a church. So we need that focus, and we need to be doing mission together. We need to be, consequently, I'll say it this way, the goal is not to make these a study group. And in a typical small group model, most small, small groups tend to have a study going. That's not where we're going to do, be doing our study. These groups is about eating, getting to know, maybe some prayer. It depends on who's there that night. So understand the slight difference there. But number four, we want many of these groups to include children. Adults and children need to interact together. So when we eat together, you understand there's this place where I need to get to know people's families, where we need to get to know each other's kids to make a difference. Because God is, we'll see how God wants to use a little bit later in the sermon. So we want families to be a part of even doing the mission together. And how can we be creative in those aspects of bringing our kids into the life of these groups and making a difference in them? Number five, we want community groups that will look to meet at least twice a month in homes. So these are not necessarily, they're not done at, at church here. Now the obvious thing right away, I'll, I'll throw this out, we're going to need leadership. We need people about willing. It's not becoming this master teacher. It's about willingness to go, I want to gather, help gather a group of people that will love each other. And, and we want those leaders to be willing to um, come to some training to help figure out what does it mean to create an environment where superabounding love can take place and where we will grow with each other. And, and we're going to need homes, frankly, where somewhere 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 14, bigger, if, we, if, we could, if your home will handle it, where the kids, it's okay to have kids and play and, and those type of things, we're going to need those, need you to open up your homes and to host some of these groups. Now, now here's where I would just encourage you to stop and pray. And would you just begin with you, might be single, might be married, just begin to talk and go, okay, what does God want me to do here? To help us as a body create a path of discipleship and create these community groups that can make a difference in our lives. So I, I would invite you. We're going to have another meeting uh, Wednesday night, June 19th. There's a sign-up out there. If you want to sign up, you don't necessarily have to. But it's just a reminder that you might have more questions. You might say, what does it look like? And, and we can maybe answer a few more questions if you're willing to, uh, to, to do that. So June 19th at 7 o'clock, a week from Wednesday night as well. But I want to... I want to push us a little farther because there's one other group that we need to create here at the church. But I want to look at verse 11 first. Look at this. Paul's praying. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you 
look at this, face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, here's the application, I think, for your notes. We are to take an active role in each other's faith development. See, Paul, he was at a distance, but he knew that he needed to get up face to face with many of these people if he was going to supply what is lacking in their lives. He was saying, if I'm going to help you love each other, if that was, was lacking, if it's knowledge, that, that he was going to help them there. But frankly, what this text does, it invites us as a people to an act of faith in the sense that we are allowing people into our lives for the purpose of spurring one another on in our faith and somebody else's faith. See, disciples who disciple intentionally look to people and say this, how can I present you complete in Christ? Colossians 1.28. What can I do to move you, to spur you on, so you will be a fully devoted disciple who loves Jesus? He's inviting us to participate at that level. We do it in our marriages. We do it with our families to supply what is lacking, might be in my life, might be in somebody else's life. So as we move in our faith, we're called to, to turn around and look and go, okay, who else is out there? Who might be behind me? Who need I need to pour my life into? It might be children, it might be young people, it might be adults. But God is calling us to something more than just sitting back and taking it in. He invites us to be used to know him so other people can know him and love him and can turn around. A couple weeks ago, I pressed you with the illustration of, of a baseball game. We love to watch from the stands. We were going to go last weekend and it started to rain. But you know what? Baseball isn't baseball unless you've gotten down on the field and played the game or your coach. And see, that's what God is calling our lives to. It's moving to a place where we're not just sitting in the set stands, is that we're getting down onto the field and we're playing the game of discipleship. And we're helping somebody else move around that baseball diamond. And helping somebody else belong somewhere. And helping somebody else believe something different. Helping somebody else love differently. Helping somebody else come to a place where they realize that they need to turn around and be bringing somebody else as well. See, that's where we need to go. But the goal to do this is the creation of a second size group. So number two, the goal for this 2013, this fall, it's the formation of DNA groups that are formed out of the community groups. Now let me give you some characteristics, and it's very important. What we're talking about is creating a community group in the home and then a couple subgroups out of that community group. But here's what they look like, number one. Then first of all, the meaning of DNA. Discipling. Nurturing. Accountability. 
Now, now we'll confess, we, we stole the word DNA from another church, okay? But that word, that acronym fits for these smaller groups. It's a place, face-to-face discipleship. Now, what do these functionally look like? Number two, look at, look at what I said. DNA groups will be men or women only groups with two to four people striving to spur each other on in our faith and our love of Jesus. So again, a community group of seven, nine, 15, and all of a sudden you break up, the, a bunch of guys come out of that group and say, we're going to start meeting together. And we're going to be going face to face. Matter of fact, look at the verse. Again, let me put it on the screen from verse 10. Face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. That is the goal of those DNA groups. Two, three, four people meeting together. See, Paul understood that that we're not there yet. And we need encouragement. We need people caring for us. You know, I, I can look back in my own life in the early 80s. I got involved in a church and a youth ministry. But beyond the youth ministry, there was about two or three guys who invited me into a relationship. And we met together at what's called the Sherry's Restaurant. It was kind of like a Perkins-type restaurant or, or country kitchen. And we met probably for four years six o'clock in the morning, and a couple of these guys were in seminary at the time, and they'd be bringing stuff, what they were learning, and I was going, what are they talking about? And we were wrestling all with all different kinds of things, scripture and theology and the nature of the church, all of that, they were pushing me to someplace different, and they were working in my life. And I look back and say that was the fastest growing period ever in my life. But again, here's where we go farther. Some of you ladies, you've already experienced a DNA-type group. There, there's been about 40 ladies already in mentoring relationships that have been going one-on-one working what to provide what is lacking in each other's faith. But what would happen this fall if we can create some community groups where all of a sudden DNA groups are formed as well, where discipleship can grow deeper, and where they're committed as two, three, four individuals to walk and pursue God together. Now look at a a verse. Let me throw a verse and, and the benefit of this. Proverbs 27, 17. You know this verse, iron sharpens iron, And one man sharpens another. You could put women, one woman sharpens another. See, this is about men and women starting a journey of adding to their faith together. This can happen even with teenagers. This isn't, though, just about another class and going to another Bible study where you can sit in silence and kind of hide. See, this is about a relationship of men with other men and women with other women to spur each other on in our faith. We need to allow people 
into our lives that are doing that. That's pushing us in our ability to love each other with a super kind of love. But let me give you another piece to this DNA group. Number three, the goal of DNA groups is to meet together sometime, somewhere between three to four hours a month. So understand it might look like this. Two or three guys get together and they meet every Monday morning at McDonald's at 6 a.m. And they read their Bibles together. They do a Bible study together. They, go, they dig in something and they're going deeper in their relationship in the Word of God and their relationship with each other. Or this might be two or three ladies taking one night a month. Husbands are babysitting and one night a month they're going to go somewhere and they're going to dig from 6 o'clock to 9.30, 10 o'clock. And they're going to do a Beth Moore study together. They're going to read a book that will spur them on or they're going to read their Bibles and underline and say, what has God been teaching you? You understand there's some creativity in this in people figuring out where to meet and when to meet. But understand that we need people face-to-face, face-sharpening our lives together. Forty ladies this past year doing mentoring relationships. What if we could increase that next year to 70 ladies? But we also had 70 men meeting like that. And many of these out of that community group. Do you know what would happen to a church if we began to do that? I'm convinced that our love for each other would go deeper and deeper and it would be overflowing and people would see that. We have about 240 adults who call this their church home right now. I wish we could get 240 to do it. I don't know what God has to press, God has to work. We have People have to open up their hearts and their lives to this. But let me layer to finish. I want to put up on the screen the text that we've gone through this morning. Look at verse 10. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. There's that people, we need people in our lives to supply what is lacking in your faith. That's the DNA groups. But now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase. And think of it within community groups that would abound in love for one another. Super abound in one another in their community group. But even for all that's outside the community, that's outside the walls of this church. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. We need people to be praying, though, to open up their homes, to open up their lives. Would you begin to pray with us? As the elders were meeting even again this Tuesday, and one of the prayer requests that we need to be praying about is that people would open up their homes and their lives, that we might grow to become a people that superabound in love for each other and beyond.
Again, if you're interested in making this model and helping us, I would encourage you to be asking that question. And again, if God's not saying no, he's saying yes. Okay. <laughs> but come on the 19th. We'll answer some more questions. we got some things to figure out, obviously. We want to do some training in August for those leaders of those community groups. We want to do some working as to how we can create those groups and make them effective. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Father, it's, it's because of your great love that you reached down and you touched us through your son, Jesus. And you've put the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and Lord, I am convinced that um, there's a desire, if we know you, there's a desire to grow, there's a desire to have a changed life. But Lord, would you help us get over the desire to be independent and the desire to walk a faith alone So Lord, draw people into a place where they're willing to grow to love one another. Where they're willing to be opening up their lives that other people might come into their life and be impacted by others. To to understand what it means where another loves a person because of what's lacking in their faith. So Father, we just want to begin to pray that you would open and change our church. Lord, the goal is for you to work, for your name to grow, for your, your name to be lifted through this community. Father, that our lives would reflect you in such a way that people would see our love and our love for you and that they would want that. So we give this process to you. And we ask for great wisdom in days ahead as we begin to implement this. But I would just again pray that you would raise up people, you would stir people to want to be a part of this process. So thank you again for your love and your goodness. And we give this day and we give this week to you. These things we pray in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, say hi to them. Introduce yourself. Have a great week.